Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering the last chapter of teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives. This is chapter 30 and it's Robert Matthias. Um, This is a pretty short chapter actually. Uh, The rest of it's appendix. We're going to get into that. And uh, it's a long appendix, so we're just going to do it in parts. It's not split up into chapters, but I think that the reading is interesting, and I want to cover that as well. <laughs> if I were to play it on my uh, my reader app, it would take 13 hours and 40 minutes to go through it. So, yeah, this is going to be a long one. Um, and it'll be split up into many parts over the course of the next month or two or maybe even three. We'll see how far we can get into it. Uh, I've decided to start um, recording in the truck. So I don't know if there's a lot of background noise or not. My truck is on. The air conditioner is on. And uh, there will be trucks driving by. I'm currently in the switchback on highway 191 up indian i would have been able to make it to the top of the summit which is what i was trying to do but i have a 14 hour clock and if everything went the way it was supposed to go i would have been able to make it there but uh things did not happen the way i anticipated there were uh, two hot shot loads carrying oversized loads up the canyon going about 12 miles an hour last night and I didn't know that they were in front of me until I got to a point where I could not turn around and I would have been able to get to the top of the canyon with enough time to uh to do my post-trip inspection, which isn't required by law, but I still do it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, things didn't work out that way. Following them up the mountain at about 12 miles, 10 to 12 miles an hour, and I was like, oh man, I guess I'm going to have to stop here where I don't want to stop. So, I wish you could see the view. It's really pretty, but, um, all right, let's get into this. Chapter 30, Joseph Smith, Tuesday, November 10th, 1835, I resumed conversation with Matthias and desired him to enlighten my mind more on his view respecting the resurrection. He said that he possessed the spirit of his fathers that he was a literal descendant of Matthias the Apostle who was chosen in the place of Judas that fell, that his spirit was resurrected in him, and that this was the way or scheme of eternal life, this transmigration of soul or spirit from father to son. I told him that his doctrine was of the devil and that he was in reality in possession of a wicked and depraved spirit. Although he professed to be the spirit of the truth itself, and he said also that he possessed the soul of Christ, 
he tarried until Wednesday the 11th, when after breakfast I told him that my God told me that his God was the devil, and I could not... Um, and I could not keep him any longer, and he must depart. And so I, for once, cast out the devil in bodily shape, and I believe a murderer. Um, I think he was accused of murdering his wife. Um, I've read m- more about this in the past, but anyway, let's what, let's see what this. Uh, the author is going to say about this. Anyway, that was History of the Church, Volume 2, page 307. What was Joseph Smith trying to say? Was he saying that the entire concept was false? Or was he saying that that Robert Matthias, to have the spirit of the apostle Matthias, was of the devil? This was in the 1835, or in 1835, and by 1844, at Joseph's death, many of his views had changed dramatically, as evidenced by the item, items of doctrine contained in this document. And so, of course, the author has to put this here because it is a question, but I don't think he goes into it as much as he should have. <sighs> the transmigration of souls is where a soul... Uh, when they die, uh, they go into another body, and they're re- they're born again, and they continue on with this being reborn again over and over and over. Well, the scriptures say that um, that uh, that we die, and then once, and then we have a judgment. But remember, there's multiple judgments. But I think. Personally, not speaking as a prophet and not by revelation, but just personally, I think that there is a case for some people coming back if it's needed, but I'm not sure about that. Um, what God did show me and what I am sure of as a prophet speaking about what God did show me is that that we live on this earth in mortality and that once we are resurrected we are damned in that state of resurrection unless we're exalted so even if you do not make it to exaltation but you are resurrected in a celestial body you're still damned cannot progress in that resurrected body But what God revealed to me is that once a new earth is created, after this earth round is over with, we have the opportunity, if we choose, to put off the resurrection and go as spirits back on a new earth into a new mortal probation, and that we have the opportunity to do that under... Jesus Christ, who will be our father, Father Adam in that place. And another will be chosen, who is God the witness today, in this world, will become the redeemer of that world. And that the progression of the gods, um, and I've explained this before, but just for new listeners, I'll explain it again, that... 
Yehovah our Elohim was once a redeemer on an older earth. He was once God the witness of an older earth. When he paid for our sins on that older earth, he became our father in the same way that Jesus Christ paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane and we become his children. Now, I have to explain this for the new listeners, and I beg your pardon for those who have heard this before, but Jesus Christ and Jehovah are two separate individual persons. The doctrine that is now taught in the mainstream Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was not heard in the days of Joseph Smith that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are the same person. And it contradicts scripture. This doctrine, as far as I can tell, began shortly after the death of Brigham Young. So Brigham Young died July or August um, 29th of 1877 and this doctrine began to find a place in the church in the early 1880s during the time of President John Taylor and it began to grow and grow until it was finally cemented into the doctrines of the mainstream modern LDS church by James Talmadge, who wrote the book Jesus the Christ, and he propon- or he he basically talks about these these things as true doctrine, and they're not; they're false doctrines. When he published his book in the 1920s, Jesus the Christ, it just it cemented it in the, in the doctrines. And now we have this false doctrine which actually contradicts the early teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith and, uh, and our scriptures. Now, I've gone into great detail uh, about this in previous podcasts which you can find at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Um, there are 600 and something episodes uh, to go through, but the what you're going to look for is Mysteries of Creation and the chapter on Jehovah. Now, just not to go into depth in this, because I did go into depth in this in that uh, episode, which was an hour too long could have even been three I don't remember Um, but the first one that I want to say is that in Ether chapter 3 Jesus appears to Mohanre Moriankumar and Mohanre Moriankumar or the brother of Jared sees the finger of Jesus which is a spirit finger so at that time Jesus Christ was a Holy Spirit. Uh, 
Jesus Christ asked Mohanroy Moyankumar if he saw, if he saw more than his finger, and then he explains to him that this is, well, he reveals himself completely, and he says, "This is what I'm going to look like when I come in the flesh." And then he says something very interesting. He says, "Never at any time have I appeared unto man." Okay, this. The timeline of this incident was around the time of the Tower of Babel, which was after the flood. That's important because Jehovah walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He appeared to many before the flood, including Methuselah. He walked and talked face to face with Enoch. And after the flood, he sat down with Abraham and had a meal of meat and dairy as a bodily individual. And he brought, uh, I think it was three other angels with him who were physical beings, which is interesting because this is before the resurrection. They were physical beings who are resurrected on an older earth and had not put off their bodies, I believe that these were exalted beings um, that that appeared in bodily form. Okay, that's a belief of mine. So, anyway, but this shows that Jesus Christ, when he says, never at any time have I appeared unto man, And Jehovah, having appeared to man before that point, this this alone shows that they are two separate individuals. In the book of Moses, chapter 1, verse 6, which Moses is the the Joseph Smith translation or the inspired translation of Genesis. So in Moses, chapter 1... Verse well, one through six, but in six, Jehovah tells Moses that Moses is in the very similitude of his only begotten son. Now, taking this at face value, we could say, well, Jehovah is the father of Jesus. But that's not what it says. He just says that Moses is in the very similitude of his Jehovah's only begotten son. Well, first of all, if Jehovah is Jesus and Jesus is the only begotten son, how is it that Moses is in the very similitude of Jesus's only begotten son? That doesn't make sense. Now, by revelation... Not by just logic, but the only begotten son of Jehovah was Michael, who is called the Archangel. Michael was a redeemer on an older earth as well. When G or when the when the council of the Elohim under the direction of God the Eternal instructed Jehovah to take Michael to create an earth. 
Jehovah had already created an earth before this. He was showing Michael how to create an earth and why did this have to happen. See, Jehovah was a redeemer on an older earth and he paid for our sins, yes, our sins, because we lived on that world. He paid for the fall and the transgressions of that world by his own atonement, the same way that Jesus Christ did later. When he paid for our sins, we became his spiritually. He bought us with the price of his own blood. And his father showed him how to create an earth. And then Jehovah became an Adam of that world. So we became his first spiritually. And then we became his physically. On that earth where Jehovah was an Adam Michael was a redeemer and Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost or God the witness of that world when Michael paid for our sins with his own blood we became his spiritually through the law of adoption And Michael became our father spiritually. When a new earth was created after everyone was resurrected, Jehovah showed Michael how to create an earth, and Michael's the one that did the work. He created this earth, and he became the Adam of this world. Michael is the only begotten son of Jehovah. And Jesus is the only begotten son of Michael. Jesus paid for our sins on this world. And we become his spiritually. And when all is resurrected and all is done, a new earth will be created and this earth that we live on now will become part of the Shamaim or the heavens it'll become a fire of sea and glass and we will put off if we so choose we will put off our resurrection and we will become spirits again and the reason we do this is because in a state of resurrection we are damned and cannot progress But God wants us to progress. When we go onto a new earth, we are placed with a family group. We are placed in a time and circumstances where we can learn and grow on that world. And the reason we're allowed to do this is because God wants us to gain a higher resurrection. A better resurrection. And in the new earth that has not been created yet, Michael will take Jesus under the direction of the council of the Elohim, under the direction of God the Eternal, and he will show Jesus how to create an earth and Jesus will be the one who creates or organizes that world 
and then Jesus will become the Adam of that world and God the witness who is God the witness now will be born on that earth and he will become the redeemer of that world and another will be chosen to be God the witness we're working with eternity here like reincarnation is a lie in the way it's taught among the yogis and the Hindus and and the different people who believe in it they're trying to fast track something that we have eons and eons and eternity of time to go through all of these experiences to become gods to become like our savior to become like Adam to become an Elohim like Yehovah our Elohim and to people worlds this short 46 years that I've been alive and my birthday was just the other day like it's nothing if I died today it would be a drop in the bucket of eternity and you do not have the ability to become a god in Uh, the short 46 years that I've been alive but what about all of the children who die before the edge of accountability but they're celestial beings how did Jesus become a god before he was born see these are missing puzzle pieces that people do not understand And they take what they have been given and then they run amok with it with their own man-made doctrines. They logic their way through the scriptures and they think they have the whole puzzle, but the puzzle is so much larger and so much more vast than what we have record for. And the only reason why I know anything about it at all is because God revealed these things to me. Because I am his witness. Nephi, in the Book of Mormon, the first one, (laughs) he saw all of these events that take place that are talked about in the book of Revelation but he was told that it was not for him to to share those things that it was foreordained for somebody who was called John the Baptist not John the Baptist John the Revelator to reveal these things Joseph Smith he understood a lot of things and I'm glad that he revealed as much as he did I think he knew more. I think he was like Nephi. That he saw and he knew, but he couldn't reveal the fullness of it. Because it was not his to reveal. It was mine to reveal. And that's why God revealed it to me. And that's why God told me in 2013 to be bold with my witness and to teach the people.
so um, that's pretty much the end of this chapter. It was very short, but this individual who who compiled this this uh, particular book, he was under the impression that we come back multiple times in one Earth on one Earth. And although I believe, I have not received direct revelation about this, I've received a lot of revelation, but like the Heavenly Father always tells me that there's more to it. There's more to this. And the person that I'm talking about, Heavenly Father being, is Michael. The Michael that I saw face to face in the flesh where he put his hands upon my head and gave me the fullness of the priesthood and sealed me up unto himself that I might be sealed up unto eternal life. I embraced that Michael, who is our father, both spiritually through the law of adoption and physically. And I embraced Jesus Christ as well in the flesh in 2003. And he's the one that reveals to me most of what I have been given. Jesus Christ does too. Um, In fact, I've got written revelations where Jesus is talking to me. But it's kind of funny because like Michael, our father, and Jesus will speak. And it goes back and forth. Like one tells me a bunch of stuff and then immediately another one jumps in and it's only by the spirit of discernment that you can know which one is speaking and um, I don't know the revelations that I have um, that I have been given are are long but uh, there's a bunch of them anyway but we're not talking about that stuff today we're going to be reading the appendix appendix A of this book and we're just going to get into it and then I'll uh, I'll read as much as I can read and then um, I'll just have to cut them into different parts I guess excerpts from Orson F. Whitney uh, Orson F. Whitney's epic poem Elias Elias is an epic poem that covers much of the religious history of the world from the LDS perspective But more importantly, Elder Whitney describes his encounter with an angelic messenger and the sublime truths this messenger taught him. The following excerpts are from the revised and annotated edition published in 1914. Eternal, or Progress Eternal. Thou goest hand in hand with life eternal. I it I don't know if this it's spelt different. It's spelt E T E R N E. So with life etern and not but death ere dies. Let's see here. Okay, so I guess that was the epic poem. Thou goest hand in hand with life etern and not but epic, but not, but death urn dies. Quoted from the title page. Excerpts from Canto. I slept and dreamed no more. I was awake. I saw and heard with other eyes and ears, which taught me things unseen, unheard before, things new and old, 
old as eternity, old into time, though new and strange to me, rejoicing in my newfound strength, I gave glory to him, the source and sire of all, that God whom I had neither loved nor feared, that God whom now I worshipped and adored, who girded with me his uh, with light, truth's tripling key, unlocking has been, what yet shall be probing death's gloom, life's threefold mystery, solving the secret whether, whence, and why. A wondrous transformation, when with, when with wand or wakened might, that all uplifting power waved and o'er the cross were hung fond hopes impelled waved over the tomb where loved ambitions lay touched the strewn fragments of my shattered dream bidding the death arise in bodies new building and ruined hope faith's battlement love's place peace doomed pinnacle in light in glory greater than earth's grandest dream than glittering fame most splendid spectacle ideal transcending ideality ideality ideal made real past all reality whose earth dimmed eye could see what then i saw whose earth dulled ears such harmonies could hear when the all-searching spirit tore the veil of things that seem and show me things that are, revealing life in hues and hopefulness, eternal life demands a selfless love. Hampered by pride, greed, hate, what soul can grow? Conceive a selfish God? Thou canst not man. Then let it shame thee into higher things. Fair on, full sure that greatest glory comes. The swiftest growth from serving humankind, so spake the spirit of the infinite. Some men I found embodiments of all the goodness, all the greatness I had dreamed. Men seemed gods, bestowing benefits, as suns their beams, as seas and skies their showers, others as dwarfs, as despots by compare, devoured with greed, consumed with jealousy, but truth taught charity gave me to see. As face to face one sees familiar friend, why men are not alike in magnitude, some souls than others have more summits climbed, more light absorbed, more moral might evolved. Dowered are they with wealth from earlier spheres, hence wiser, worthier than those they lead. Through precepts vell up steep examples height to where love, beauty, wealth, power, glory reign while some innately noble are borne down by weight of wickedness inherited, by passions fierce, propensities depraved, malfic legacy of centuries, that much of their truth worthiness obscures, 
while spirit strives with flesh for mastery, for higher culture, and for added might. And yet, Anon, such souls in effulgence shine, as burst the April beam through banks of clouds, in glory from which envy shines, or shades its eyes. While stands detracted, staring, stricken dumb, the glory of the great intelligence, which mortal mists condemn but for a time, spirits like stars all differ in degree, and cannot show an even excellence. Unequal in their first nobility, great, great tells of greater littleness of less. Times heals and veils, but type eternity, whose glories fixed essential evermore. Truth taught me more, but bade me silent be. Vast voiceless oracles who intelligent sleep in the caverns of each stony heart, yet breathes over all a boundless eloquence that wealth historic might your words impart, but like the laboring brain that burns to speak, mind's inmost thought deep in its dungeons pent, or liker still to inward boiling peak, or fires volcanic vainly seeking vent, where Adam and Tyne bolts and bars prevent, thou'rt doomed to utter stillness and shall keep the burden of thy bearing till is rent. Yon heavenly veil and earth and air deep, and earth and air and deep. Tell secrets that shall rouse the dead from Solomon's sleep, our solemn sleep. And must I be as mute, O silent mount? Muse of all melody, shall I not sing? Burst these dumb bars, whence in yon babbling font may find in every breeze a wafting wing, afar its lightest murmured word to fling. Where art thou, ancient soul of solemn song? Asleep, then awake? Wherefore art slumbering? The world hath need of thee, and waiteth long. Strike, strike again thy harp, and thrill the listening throng. Amazed I listened, but more than dream, but uh, did I more than dream? Had random words aroused unhopped reply? Or was it sound whose import did but seem? Hark, for again it rolls along the sky. Then question hast thou none, or none wouldst ply, save to, the, or save to thy soul in meditative strain, or heedless winds that wander idly by. So be it still to me thy purpose, purpose plain, thy hidden wish revealed, nor thus revealed in vain. 
while freshening waves of woodland-scented air widen the spell of that immortal throne, uh, tone. While as on threshold of lion's, hair, lion's lair, speechless I stood as stricken into stone, methought the sun with lessened splendor shone, as if some wandering clod obscured his gaze, then burst a glory from his midday throne, turning mine eye beheld in rapt amaze, what memory ne'er would lose were life of endless days. And thou, O pensive crier in the waste, invoker of the voice now visible, prepared art thou a mystery to taste, whose fruit is joy or woe infallible. Pluck not of wisdom's branches bending full, drink not that divine philosophy, save thou canst bear bravely suffering's wrong misrule, thy best intent thought ill save through though I'm sorry save thou canst be what men deem fool real fools despising pitying thee let's while I tell for I am one by whom future and past as present shall appear in me behold Messiah's minister ancient of time and of eternity sing poet sing but not of new of old or old of and new eternal truth thy theme that be that holdeth past and future in her fold that maketh present but a passing dream while time and earth and man as trifle trifle seem that knoweth not of old or old or strange whose enduring all redemptive scheme fixed and immutable mid worlds of change on and on from universe to universe doth range faint not nor fear for all shall fare thy way my way his way the master evermore uh, I hope this thing is it, it was an epic I guess right <laughs> I don't like reading these old poems I, I just they don't roll off my tongue like maybe somebody from the 1800s or the 1700s or the 1900s would have it roll off their tongue It it's a struggle to read through all of these <laughs> And you'd think that with the thousands of hours that I have read out loud over the last 10 years, that you'd think I would get better at reading. And and that's just talking about the podcasts. You know, I started The Kingdom of God or Nothing in January of 2014, shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon, which is actually an important marker in time because the Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori, who died in 2006 um, 
I don't know if it was years before his death, but he claimed he was a Jewish rabbi. He was... His funeral, I think, had like 300,000 people at it. He was born in Iran in a year unknown. But it was in the 1890s. And he died in 2006. And they're not sure exactly how old he was. But this man was old. And he spent his life as a rabbi. And he claimed to have met the Messiah. But he was a venerated rabbi. He was a, or he was an Orthodox Jew who studied Kabbalah. And um, he he said, "I'm going to write the name of the rabbi down in this envelope." And a year after I die, my son David Kadori will open it up and read up read read what's in the the note. And in the note. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was like basically an anagram. And when they deciphered it, it read Yehoshua. Yehoshua is the Aramaic of the word Yeshua, and Jesus is the transliteration through through Greek and Latin of Jesus. Jesus transliterated from Yeshua which which is the Hebrew name of our Redeemer that there's no J's in the Hebrew alphabet in fact the 1611 King James version of the Bible didn't have a J because there were no J's invented before the 1611 King James version of the Bible in the 1611 King James version of the Bible he is called Jesus with an I I-E-S-U-S, I think is how it was uh, spelled. And later on, when the J was invented in the 1600s, for some reason they started calling him Jesus. But originally it was Yeshua, which was uh, hard to pronounce by the Greeks, so they called him Jesus. Jesus? <laughs> kind of like in um, in English we have people who are foreigners who learn to speak their native language and they have a hard time pronouncing certain things. It's the same thing. Anyway, so it went from the Greek into the Latin um, and I can't remember what the Latin was um, at this time, but it went from the Latin into English and and into English it was Jesus, and then later on it became Jesus. And he doesn't, I don't think he cares what you pronounce his name as, but in the Hebrew, when he was alive, he would have been called Yeshua, or his mother would have called him Yeshi as a child. But Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori wrote the name in Hebrew uh, or Aramaic, I can't remember, um, Yehoshua. And his 
son and his followers had a conniption fit about this. And then the Christians found out about it and they were like, oh, the venerated rabbi met the Messiah. And the thing about it is when you go back into the the words of Yitzhak Kadori, like he talks about the Messiah he met and the Messiah who is alive on the earth today. And it was revealed to him that the Messiah at that time, before 2006, did not know who he was. But he would reveal himself, after he found out, to the world shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon. And this is talking about Messiah ben Joseph. See, in Davidic literature, you have two messiahs. You have the king messiah, who is the redeemer, and you have the military messiah, the one who brings forth or prepares the way for the return of the king messiah, and he is called Messiah ben Joseph from the house of Ephraim. And Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori said at that time when he was still alive, now remember, I had seen the Father and the Son face to face in the flesh in 2003. And I would ponder, why is it that Joseph Smith only saw them in vision, but I embraced them? Like, that just boggled my mind. Like, what what made me so important that, that I would have that opportunity? I just, I couldn't understand it. And in 2012, when when I had the whisperings of the Spirit about who I am, the one mighty and strong, I, first of all, for some reason in all of my studies, I didn't ever come across this doctrine of one mighty and strong. I just, I didn't know about it. And then when I found out about it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who that is. <laughs> And the whisperings of the spirit would say, it's you. And I was like, no way. Because I know who I am. And there's no way that God would choose me to be anybody. Like, I'm just lucky that I had this experience where I'd seen the Father and the Son. I've had all of these visions and dreams. But like, Joseph Smith talked about how anybody could have those experiences. And I believed him. So I, I would not give heed to the whisperings. I would not ask if it was true because it was beyond my belief. I couldn't believe that, that I would be anybody at all. I still have a hard time believing that I'm anybody at all. And I wish I wasn't anybody at all. <laughs> That's the stupid thing about it. Like, I'm so grateful for all of the many the many gifts of the Spirit and the many revelations and all of the knowledge that God has given me. But I don't want it. I don't want to be who I am or who God revealed I am. When I rejected the whisperings of the Spirit, 
and would not ask for confirmation because it was too much too much for me to believe my aunt received the revelation that I am the second witness of the father father the one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order and I told her that she received a revelation from the devil and that that was a lie and there's no way that I could be that person and she kept on for months I know you're the one God revealed it to me and I was like nope so in January of 2013 I was being excommunicated from the LDS church for believing the Adam God doctrine and not for telling everybody I didn't even teach the Adam God doctrine I it's just my um, my mother-in-law was very upset about me marrying her daughter because my wife and I were married by revelation well what does that mean so I knew her online in a chat forum for a couple of months, uh, March of 2012, um, until May 28th of 2012. And, um, we, we'd talk a lot, you know, and like we weren't interested in each other. Neither of us were interested in getting married, but like, it was just nice. Like I lived in St. Petersburg, Florida, there's not a lot of LDS people my age uh, at the time there. That there was, I was pretty lonely, so I'd use these LDS chat forums to like just talk to people, you know. And I talked to a lot of people, but but my wife now and I would talk. And then um, I can't remember. I think one day she was like, "I we we're having a really good conversation about something," and she had to go. But, like, she was not done with the conversation. She said, can you text me? Well, just text, because I have to go, but I can still text. And so I gave her my phone number, She and I texted her. Or we gave each other phone numbers anyway, and we texted each other. And we'd been doing that for a week or two or something. I don't remember the timeline of that. But um, on May 28th, I was at a resort in Florida, and I was in the pool, and, like, God told me to call Kim and to speak to her. And I got out of the pool, and I dried off, and I had this old flip phone, which worked until the end of the call, and then it was dead for three days because it got wet because I guess I was sweating or something. I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, but so we talked for like a couple of hours. Now, unbeknownst to me, um, some things had happened in Kim's life and she was just done. And she was so upset because she had been doing everything that she was supposed to do. And her ex-husband, who had should have gone to jail for life for what he did to her. And I'll leave it at that. Um, he had um, there was a mistrial 
and Kim would have had to go back through another a grand jury trial and go through the experience of having to say everything that happened to her again um, to more strangers and like it was just too much for her <clears throat> which is sad because um, they they put him out or they, they did the mistrial uh, they he pled down to being on probation for like 10 years or something like that. And, and like the way I understood it, like if he broke his parole, I guess, or probation or whatever it was that he would have to go back to prison or to, to prison, not to jail anyway. But, um, he did all the things that he did to her to another individual and he finally did go to prison and if she would have just been strong enough to to go through all of the that that she had to deal with um, Katie wouldn't have gone through all this she went through with this man that my wife was married to okay so so she found out about all of this stuff and she was just on her knees for hours crying to god and asking 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 him all of these questions and i didn't know what she was asking him and i didn't know that she was even praying but god said call her and speak these words to her and I called her and I said hey um, this is Lazarus which is my chat name Lazarus 1977 <laughs> I said um, God told me I needed to call you and he wanted me to tell you some things and I just opened my mouth and kept talking in everything that God told me to tell her I spoke and all of the questions that she had been asking God for hours on bended knee God gave an answer to her through my mouth he used me as his voice and God told me to tell her about my experience with him in 2003 with with our father and Jesus Christ and she she told me uh, to stop that the spirit was burning in her so strong she couldn't hardly stand it because it was so strong So we end the phone call, and like I said, my phone dies for three days. And when we got off the phone, God told her to ease my burden and bear me children. Which was a surprise to her. Now, (laughs) when I got off the phone with her, God told her, or told me to take her as my wife. I wasn't looking for a wife. I wasn't looking. I did not want to get married again. After my first marriage, uh, which only lasted for four months, to Gordon B. Hinckley's 
great niece and in that family that thought they were so great oh i was and i was the dirty rotten truck driver like it nobody wanted me to marry her and they all um, made it difficult anyway but um so i didn't want to get married again and like i finally like let up and like started dating again four years after the um the divorce of my first wife and i started dating and i fell in love with this girl and then this particular girl told me that um that she did love me but god when god we were thinking about like getting engaged and God told her that there was somebody else for me. And that she needed to break up with me. Shortly after that, I met Maquette. And Maquette and I did get engaged. And we were going to be married on uh, February 2nd of 2002. Eleven, No, no, it was like January 11th of 2011 or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, her family did not like me and they forbid her from marrying me. Um, her dad was extremely abusive and... Um, she was 10 years younger than me. I was 33 at the time, and she was uh, 23. And um, when I saw the abuse that her dad was committing on her, I just, I wouldn't have, I was like, nope, you are not going to do this to her. This is not right. And so anyway, um, they forbid me from being with her. Which broke my heart just it was a bad experience we lived um, I lived in Everett Washington and then Moses Lake Washington and in order for me to like get away from the whole situation I actually packed up my motorhome that I was living in because I was an oil field worker before and I lived in it there and then after the oil field went bust I I uh, lived in my motor home up in Washington State where my cat lived and I after I just I was like you know this is unsalvageable she will not marry me and go against her parents wishes even though she loved me and I loved her um I got in my car and I drove to Utah I picked up a friend we drove to Las Vegas or near Las Vegas I picked up another friend we drove to New Orleans and stayed at another friend's house in New Orleans and yeah I used to have a ton of friends all over the place and then um and then we were headed to Miami because we were going to go stay with uh, some other friends. But uh, something happened. And, like, when we were getting close to Tampa, Florida, they were like, oh, you can't come here. Like, we already drove 
we're and like I'm on unemployment at this time because I got laid off of my job and we don't have a lot of money and we're trying to like in fact we were eating like a dollar burger from Wendy's or a dollar chicken sandwich from Wendy's every day that's all we ate like we had no money for food we had enough money to get to Florida and then when I got to Florida we didn't have a place to go we didn't have money for a place to go um one of my the one friend I picked up in Nevada um that person became a beach bum (laughs) and later on um she just went back to Utah my other friend, he got a hostel because he had a little bit of money, but they would only allow one person to, to stay there, so I couldn't stay there. So I ended up living in my car and getting temp jobs so that I could have enough money to, to eat. There were days when I didn't eat. There were times when people would walk up to me, and I wouldn't beg or panhandle or anything. Like one time I was in a, a place, a job search place, And I was looking for a job and I'm trying to figure things out. You know, I'm living in my car and like I would go down to the beach and shower on the showers at the beach in in St. Petersburg, Florida, west of Tampa. And uh, so I wasn't dirty or anything and I'd wash my laundry and everything. But like this guy came up to me and he said, God told me to give you this money. And I hadn't eaten in like two days. Like, God took care of me through all of that mess. And you know what? I've been homeless before, like, as as a teenager. Like, it wasn't that bad. I lived in my car. I got temp jobs. I went to the beach after work, after doing whatever manual labor I could do. And then I eventually got into a place. And anyway, so... So Kim and I were commanded to marry each other. And I think it was June 1st when we, like after the three days or something like that, after my phone started working again, I was like, you know, hey, how is things going? And she said, oh, and uh, when God told me to take her as my wife, I was like, okay, first of all, I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm supposed to be their husband, and I, I think they're all crazy. Like, I, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not crazy. Okay, so one time I asked God, why is it that, like, you tell them that I'm supposed to marry them, but, like, when I ask you, like, I, I'm told no. And he told me it's because, like, I would have been a good husband for them, but they would not have been a good wife for me. And that's why I was told no, and they were told yes. It wasn't specific. It was just, you know, would he make a good husband? And then they say, oh, well, God told me that you'd make a good husband, so that means we're supposed to get married. And I'd be like, "Uh, I don't know about that. And this happened to me a bunch uh, in my 20s. So I'm just thinking about all these pe- all these women that I could have gotten married to. But I never got this confirmation of the spirit that I was supposed to be with them. So I'd be like, well, I really like you, but I don't think that 
we're supposed to be married. And so the other thing too, when I would teach, um, like the spirit was so strong to the people that were around me, like, and I'm not trying to be boastful or anything, but like the spirit would be so strong. And these women would feel the spirit and they would mistake their love of the spirit for a love for me. So that was, that was a thing. But anyway, so, um, so I call, uh, and I tell God, like, she's going to have to tell me because I'm not going to be the crazy person that says, oh, I'm, I received revelation that you're supposed to be my wife. Cause like, no. And I've heard of other guys like this is, happens in LDS culture among single people. Oh, you're supposed to be my wife. That's, I'm like, oh, these people. Anyway. So, um, so I told God, she's going to have to tell me, I'm not going to tell her. So she calls me up or I call her up or whatever on the third day, um, after my phone started working again. And she's like, you're going to think I'm crazy. But after I got off the phone with you, God told me to ease your burden and bear you children. And I said, I I know God told me to take you as my wife. And we're like, I guess we should get to know each other then. So the first time I met my wife was 11 years ago on June 30th. So just a couple days ago, like in person. I flew up from Tampa Bay up to Vermont. She picked me up. I stayed at her house. Her mom and her sister stayed with her in the house too. And um, and I got to meet her family. And we drove down to... Uh, to uh, I want to say upstate New York, but everything's upstate from New York City. It wasn't upstate. But anyway, it, we drove down to her grandpa's house and her aunt's house in New York like, I don't know, 70 or 80 miles from New York City, north of New York City in New York. And then we drove down the I-95 corridor all the way down to uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and I met the rest of her family. And then, um, and it, you know, I was like, okay, well, I have, to, and I only had like a week off of work, so we did all this in a week. And, um, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take a Greyhound bus back to Florida, where I live, because I have to get back to work. And Kim told me that that God told her, if you don't go with him, then, that, then that'll be your answer. And if you're going to do what I asked you to do, you to do, that you need to go with him. So instead of me getting a Greyhound bus ticket, we drove... To Florida with her two kids. And on uh, July 20th of 2012, we got married by the bishop in my ward in Pinellas County, Florida, St. Petersburg. 
20 days after I met her in person and like let's see May 28th so less than two months after the experience that we had and then I think I knew her two months before that so I think we knew each other for almost four months but we're not dating uh, at all and then when God revealed to us on May 28th that we were supposed to be married then we're like oh I guess we really need to like meet each other and like like we skyped we which we didn't do before uh, it was just chat before and then the phone call like I was I I married a stranger Kim married a stranger we've been married for 11 years and she has given me five children two of which um, have gone beyond the fail but she's given me uh, five children but she also gave me two other children the, the guy who's in prison I'm their dad my son Emmett who's 17 now he was six when we got married his dad was gone by the time he was three I think no six three I can't remember I don't know what the timelines are with that I can't remember I remember the first time I saw him he was on a uh, we were on Skype and Kim had to go into the back room for something and like she left the computer on her her kitchen table and <laughs> I, on the counter actually and I saw this tape or this chair being moved around and I saw the top of this kid's head and I'd never seen him before I'd never spoken to him he climbs up on the chair and he says hi I'm Emmett are you going to be my dad <laughs> I was like, uh, where's your mom? <laughs> Olivia was four when we got married. And she doesn't remember her dad. Her biological dad. I've been the only dad that she's ever known. But we've been married for 11 years. Or pretty close to it. I mean, July 20th, 11 years. And it was the best decision I ever made. I always wanted to have my own family. Because I never had a real family. Like my grandparents tried the best they could. And then they would pass me off to another set of grandparents, and they tried a little bit, but not as much as my one grandparents, my maternal grandparents did. Like, I was with my mom on and off. I was with my dad on and off. I was in state care on and off. I was with my aunt and uncles on and off. 
by the time I was 18, I'd moved over 100 times growing up. I wanted a family for so long, and God gave me a family. She gave, He gave me Kim and her two kids, who I love so much, and my three living kids, who are um, 10, 8, and 4. And then we would have had a boy who would have been five and a girl who would have been uh, two if they hadn't passed away. Uh, They passed away in the hospital. Um, Anyway, um, and I don't know why I'm telling you guys all of this, but... um, Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori in his teach, teachings talked about the Messiah Ben Joseph and he said that in 2006 or before that he said that he didn't know who he was and um Oh, I was explaining all this to you because, like, my mother-in-law did not want my wife to be married to me. She was meddling (laughs) a lot. And um, she tried to get the state president to do something, you know. And she's all, well, he believes in polygamy and he believes in the Adam God doctrine and he he has had these experiences and just all this junk right and so I'd never met this man and uh, it was a Vermont stake we lived in New Hampshire but it was a Vermont stake and uh, he calls me up and then he confronts me you know, he wanted to meet me. He confronts me, and uh, lo and behold, I told him everything. And he said, "Oh, you're a bold-faced liar. Nobody's seen God. Like you think you're better than the prophets." And I'm like, "You can ask El Tom Perry. He interviewed me about these things back in 2004, and he was still alive back then." And El Tom Perry slapped me on the back, and he said, "Well, God's the one that chooses his prophets, because we sure don't." Which I didn't understand what he meant at that time, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that don't understand what he means. Even now, I understand it now, but I even showed him the uh, the archived letter that I have a copy of that has the first presidency archive vault number and the general archive vault number which i have a cop i i sent it to uh, i sent this big old long letter to president hinckley and then he sent elton perry to meet me and he gave me copies of the letter and they kept the the other thing in the in their their uh safe securement (laughs) but um Like that, that state president 
didn't care. He's like, you're just a liar. He didn't try to investigate it. Like, he just got mad. Like, bold, like, red-faced mad. Like, I wasn't yelling and screaming. He was. You know, like, you can't have those experiences. You're a liar about my experience with the father and the son. And uh, I was going to be excommunicated, and I was an over-the-road truck driver. And I couldn't make it home. Like, I was supposed to be home. I couldn't make it home. I call him up. I'm like, hey, can we please reschedule this? I can't make it home. He says, it doesn't matter. You don't need to be there. You're being excommunicated, which is a violation of their laws and their rules for these things but no that didn't matter and I I like was crying I was just bitterly crying in January of 2013 and our father came to me and he said kneel down before me and ask me who you are and then I was shown unmistakable proof for me to know exactly who I am and why I was called to this position of authority. That my aunt, when she was, um, when she got the revelation that I was the one mighty and strong, the second witness of the father, it was true. When the whisperings of the spirit were that I was that man and I was like there's no way I can't be that man I just no and I would just reject it I just wouldn't even I just ignored it but it was true it took our father in heaven himself to come to earth (laughs) commanding me to kneel down before him and he said ask me who you are And I was like, Father, who am I? And immediately he took me up out of my body in a vision. And he stood next to me. And I saw uh, three thrones on a raised platform. And in front of the thrones were twelve and behind them there were many and then there were just oh there were so many people and I saw the father stand up who was Michael and I saw Jesus stand up and I saw Lucifer stand up in front of his throne and he was the Holy Ghost I never ever thought that that was the case but God was showing me a vision of the past and he showed me a vision of of the war in heaven I was shown that Lucifer lost his title of the bearer of light and truth or the second witness of the father or God the witness the Holy Ghost 
that he became Satan, Satan. And I saw the Father and the Son come down from the platform that they were elevated on. And I was among the twelve. And I was told that we were the mighty and strong ones for this earth. And that it included the twelve who stood before God the Father, God the Redeemer, and God the Witness, who are also mighty and strong for this earth. So there's fifteen of us in all. And I was chosen to take the place that Lucifer vacated and I was given the title of the bearer of light and truth the second witness of the father or God the witness and when God showed me all of that I was just amazed But it took a second, it took a minute to settle. And I looked at Heavenly Father and I said, Am I the witness? And he had this smile on his face. He had the smile, it was like, like you're finally starting to wake up. And he just chuckled and he said, well, it has to be somebody. And I was just in awe and dumbstruck. That's why I've seen the Father and the Son face to face in the flesh. Like, that's why all of these things, I've been shown so many things. That I have come on the earth to prepare the way for the return of Father Adam at Adam and on and also Jesus Christ. Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori said that that I would make myself known shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon. Now Ariel Sharon, when Yitzhak Kadori died, was in a coma in 2006. He was in a coma on life support from 2006 to January of 2014. And shortly after his death is when God told me to do the podcast. I did not know about Yitzhak Kadori until um, six months, eight months, something like that, after I started the podcast. And I was like, what? Like, there's a lot of things that God shows me after the fact that he revealed to other people before. I just didn't know. And I'm like, wow. Like, Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori said that that Messiah, Messiah ben uh, Joseph, would use social media to, to get his message out to the world. Which is interesting because in Isaiah 49, it talks about me. It talks about me going among my children and being rejected by my children. And you, the restoration, you are, in a sense, my children. I am your prophet. Whether you accept me or reject me, it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter to me. But I'm the Lord's anointed. 
I am Messiah ben Joseph, the second witness of the Father, God the witness come in the flesh. And I know that that's too fantastic for most of you to believe. And in fact, when I first, when God revealed this to me, I couldn't hardly believe it myself. But it's the truth. I have been sent to teach the people and to bear my witness of the reality of the resurrection of our Father and our Son to set the house of God in order with the keys and authority that were given me when I saw the Father face to face and he laid his physical hands upon my physical head and gave me all of the power and authority, all of the keys, all of the authority to do the job that he has for me to do. Now, what's interesting is when he placed his hands, he said, kneel down before me. And, and um, in 2003, when I saw him, like, I fell on my face when I saw him. And he told me to get up and he opened his arms to me and I embraced him. And he embraced me. His physical arms went around my physical body. And he said, kneel down before me. And I said, oh okay and I was like why he says I'm going to seal you up unto myself that you may be sealed up unto eternal life which it talks about that in my patriarchal blessing that I have been given the gift of eternal life but that physically happened in 2003 when he placed his hands upon my head and, and was sealing me up into himself I was surprised because light was emanating from me I, I did not expect that I was like what's going on here all I remember is I had my head down and I had my arms folded in front of me and I was like and I did not close my eyes and like light was just my whole body was filled with light it was just emanating like like it was emanating from him like and it surprised me and I was not paying attention to what he said which is by design because there are certain times that God has to reveal certain things and at that time, I was not ready for it. But there had to be that ordinance, and there had to be that transferal of keys. Now, I am not an apostle of Jesus Christ, although I have seen him face to face and embraced him as well. So I, in a sense, I am a witness of, of, of Jesus Christ. But I am the second witness or an, and apostle of, of our Father in heaven. In 3 Nephi, I think it's chapter 11 or 21, I can't remember, when it talks about the work of the Father commencing at some point, that began. Actually, in 1995, 
and then 2003. Like, there's a whole long list of things that happened uh, that have built up to this point. But the work of the Father has commenced. The setting in order starts with the restoration of the authority, which includes the fullness of the priesthood and all of the keys to the kingdom, to the priesthood, to the church. They were given to me in 2003. Well, I only got a little bit into this uh, this reading here, and I have 15% left on my phone, which is my recording device. I don't really want to read this. Like, I'm just not into 18th century or 19th century uh, poetry. And it looks pretty interesting, you know, but... Like, I don't know why all of this is in the appendix. Like, why? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Of course, you know, this book was never published. The author is unknown. He wanted to keep himself hidden. And I don't even know who the author is. I had a third party uh, give me this book uh, so that I could read it. So um, I will post... I'm going to find the end of this epic poem that's like ridiculously long and I'll post this if you want to read it uh, and the group or the link will be in the description of the podcast but I'm not going to read all of this I might read it in my mind but trying to pronounce and the, the, the way the words are structured in the sentences like it's just it doesn't my mind is thinking like how we all think modern whatever and like trying to like read this stuff even with all of the thousands of hours that I have made videos and podcasts and like even back when I was in college um, I would read my books onto a recorded device and then I would listen to them as I drove at night because I was a truck driver back then uh, down in St. George and God told me that I need, like a long time ago, way before any of this, back before I even had my experience uh, in the flesh with the Father and the Son, he told me that I needed to read out loud. So I would read my scriptures out loud. I would practice. I used to stumble and stutter. I had such a hard time reading out loud. And even though I've practiced... I still have a hard time. So, um, I'll find the end of this poem and then I'll cut it and put it in the, uh, 
the thing so you can read it if you if you so choose but I'm not going to read it anymore I think that what I talked about was somebody needed to hear it because I haven't really talked about it a lot uh, in the past I don't know a couple months I don't think anyway but I, I'm going to be done with the podcast at this point so um, it is Ju- July 2nd, but I won't be able to post this until I get internet service. Like I said, I am on the side of a mountain. Because this is where I, I ran out of hours. I had like two minutes left on my logbook when I... And I knew this spot was here. Um, there was another spot that I could have pulled into, but... Um, there's a lot of rocks that fall off of the mountain in that particular area. And I was like, I don't really want to park here. Cause like, I don't want my truck getting damaged by, you know, boulders, small boulders, but they like, they're not, they're not so small as a bowling ball and not so large as a beach ball, but they will do damage if they hit my truck. So I was like, oh, I don't want to park here. So I pulled up to this other spot where I knew I've seen other people park. And I was like, well, and like I slept today, like my truck is going up a steep part of a hill. So, uh, it is what it is. Anyway. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, if this information is educational to you, please share it. Even if it's, hey, you guys should listen to this guy and tell me what you think about him. Like, I'm trying to be the watchman on the tower. God has given me instructions to give to you as far as where you're supposed to move to, where the remnant is supposed to gather. You know, but I can only do my part. And past that, I I don't know what else to do. I've been sharing this message for all these years, and uh, the majority of the people have rejected it. Which is fine. That's that's a that's a you problem. That's a them problem. That's not a me problem. Because I have a guarantee by calling elections, but made sure. I'm doing what God has asked me to do. I don't want to do what God asks me to do because I don't want the repercussions from all of the people who reject this message and the people who the death threats over the years the, the um, accusations, the, the slander, the libel. Like, I had my name dragged through international media um, 2017 over something somebody else did. Like, I'm not in prison. The FBI didn't have any evidence that I was even involved in anything, but that doesn't stop people from running their mouth, like the Salt Lake Tribune. And Nate Carlisle. 
and, and uh, they had to delete some of the stuff, but they never retracted it, and it had already gone out worldwide. Like, I don't need this crap. I've lost jobs over this. I've, I've lost opportunities over this. And I'm so... I'm just... I, I wish I could just shut up and just... But I can't. It's like a fire pent up in my bones and I cannot... Stop bearing witness of what God has told me to bear witness of. Even though I've been rejected, mocked, ridiculed, shunned. But at least I have a wife... And she knows these things are true, and she's seen so many evidences. And she sticks with me. And my kids love me, and I love them. And um, in fact, I was attacked by, I, for my birthday, uh, we went to Lagoon which is in Farmington, Utah. It's like an amusement park for those of you who are not from this area. There's roller coasters and rides, and the kids love it. And I just follow my four-year-old around, and, like, if he has to have a rider next to him that he wants to go on the ride, I'll go on a ride. But other than that, I'm not going on rides. I don't co- I don't like... I used to love it, but I'm 46, man. I'm an old fart. <laughs> so anyway, we went went to Lagoon for two days. Well, the hotel that we were staying at in Leighton, Utah, it was all right, you know, but I forgot to bless and dedicate the room and cast all the evil spirits out. So I was attacked. And you know what? Like, I let my guard down, and that sucks that I have to have my guard up all the time. Uh, physically with people and spiritually with demons it it sucks I hate it but that's just that's part of the the way things are so um, I was I, I was dreaming the same dream over and over and over again And the dream was that my four-year-old was run over and grossly mangled by the tires of an SUV. And every time I started to wake up, I fell back asleep and I was back in the dream. I wouldn't be so attacked if I wasn't such a threat to the kingdom of the devil. So it's not just the rejection and all of the other things. It's the whole thing. It's the life that I've lived. The childhood that I experienced. And like, it's hard for me because when I spoke to Jesus face to face in 2003, he told me all the things that I have gone through which I still have a hard time with he allowed me to go through those things for his wise purpose and I'm like why 
why would you want anybody to go through all of the stuff that I've been through? And I get it, but I don't. And I'm still angry, even though I should let it go. Like, there's nothing I can do about the fact that I haven't spoke to my dad in two, uh, since 2006. I haven't spoken to my mom since 2019. I haven't seen my siblings since then. I have one sister who reaches out to me and sees how she says, how are you doing? You know, like I was never wanted by anybody in my family but my grandparents they had an obligation I guess and they took care of me and they loved me and I loved them but I was always a burden to everybody the demonic attacks that happened the other night I've had that ever since I was younger than I have memory my mom told me about things that would happen and they would get rid of me and it would stop. It would follow me. And I lived with other people and and there would be like a brief break and then paranormal things would happen again and then they would get rid of me again. And Satan would go after my parents to destroy them in any way, and anybody that had anything to do with me. And I was just this pariah growing up And I've gone through all of this crap. So no, I don't want to be a prophet. This is stupid. This sucks. When you are a threat to the devil's kingdom, he will come after you with everything that he has. And then people will mock you and laugh at you and reject you and I'd call you names crazy. Like, I would talk um, recently, last week, I was in this group. I, I just left it because it's just bully hate speech. Like, these Protestants that are just trying to beat Mormons over the head with everything that they can find. And, like, accepting no, like, answers. And I would explain to them things, and then they would just call me names. And they would tell me I'm going to hell because I've been deceived by devils. Like, okay, it's not your place to judge for wine. You're not the judge. But I just, I left it and I'm just sick and tired of the arguments. And I'm sick and tired of the accusations. And I'm sick and tired of the repercussions. And I wish that I could just be done. Completely just done. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do what I know God has called me to do in the future. I don't want to die how God has shown me how I'm going to die. I don't want any of it. But after I'm dead and I lay in the street for three uh, three days and three nights with my witness, I'll be resurrected for the whole world to see. And at that point, all of those who mocked and ridiculed, they're going to have great fear in their heart. And they're going to say to themselves, he really was who.
who he said he was. And they're going to realize that all they who will not hear that prophet will be cut off from among the people. That they will be damned for their rejection. And the reason why it says that they will have great fear in their heart is because they'll know that they rejected that prophet. But it's more than that. They blaspheme against God the witness. They reject God the witness come in the flesh. And there's a lot of people who know a lot of things out there who might even be more eloquent in their oration than I am. And their mouths are going to drop when they see it. And the fear that is going to fill their heart. I feel sorry for them. And all of you people out there that think I'm crazy... that day is going to be a very sad day for you anyway like I said I'm going to be done with this podcast I still got 12% left on my phone but uh, I don't expect there's very many people out there who actually listen to it but I do know there's some so thank you for listening and If I'm not exhausted and I have time when I'm in the truck, I'm going to make podcasts because I got way too much stuff to do when I'm at home. So anyway, take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.